I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Hello, friends. Welcome to the broadcast. This is Michael, and I'm joined in studio with Tim and Sam, as usual. Hope everybody is doing all right. Sam, Tim, how are you guys doing? Uh, better than I deserve, that's for sure. Yes, I'm doing well as well. Thanks, it's good to be here. Glad to be unplugged around theology. Well, we got some good unplugged stuff to do today. Um, those of you who are local here in Edmond, Tim, we do have classes coming up this Monday. That's right. Uh, if you listen to the podcast when we put it online, it will be this Monday. If not, you've missed it, but it's probably not too late. No, it's not too late. So we're doing our theology program, which is uh, life-changing for many people. It's basically if you've always been yearning to go to seminary or to really uh, deepen your faith, but you might not know what that looks like, not really maybe know even how to communicate that, uh, we have this program where basically it's for everybody who will never go to seminary and really gives them huge roots in how to think theologically, how to approach the Bible in a theological fashion. And it's not a replacement for seminary, but it is for those who would like to go to seminary but never get the chance want that type of teaching so it's called the theology program we've got the introduction to theology class starting on monday and a bibliology and hermeneutics class starting on monday yeah yeah and it's exciting most of the people in the bibliology and hermeneutics class are people who took intro theology recently and say keep keep feeding it to me yeah (laughs) keep giving it to me so who is the amazing professor that is going to walk them through these two classes i mean are we flying somebody in are we uh you know have we stolen someone from a, a huge seminary like who is this famed professor i don't know um, I will be teaching it. We're not oh, anybody te- in. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Okay, you're, so you're teaching it? Yeah, and okay. we've got we, we do have a famed professor that is coming on uh, a week from today. From today, yeah. 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 J.P. Moreland will be here at the Credo House uh, on May 18th, a week from today, and uh, he is going to be talking about an interesting topic. He's going to be talking about the soul. The existence of the soul. The existence of the soul. And we will have a huge Q&A period as well. So uh, if uh, his previous books, people want to ask him questions about that, that's fair mm-hmm. game. Uh, but part of our vision and our dream for the Credo House is to have this neutral place that is just focused on being a light for our God, being a blessing, hopefully, to the discipleship of the Bride of Christ. And so it excites us beyond all excitement to be able to bring into someone that our prayers that they would just help deepen the faith of our city. Sam, you know JP. Oh, I know JP well. We were in seminary together back in the 70s. I was uh, one year ahead of him. He's actually older than me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I won't say how by how much. <laughs> I think he had uh, I think he worked with Crusade, Chemist Crusade for Christ before he went to seminary, didn't he? If I don't I'm not mistaken. I think that is in his bio. Yeah, I'm not I think sure he did. But um, so he was uh, one year behind me at Dallas. But we, uh, yeah, we did know each other, and we've become very, very close friends. And both of y'all have something in common in the sense that you went to Dallas Seminary, and both of you guys are charismatic now. That's true. 
Yeah. You know, that surprises a lot of people when they hear that about JP. They, yeah. they know that I'm nuts, but when they hear that he is too, they just kind of <laughs> take notice. But So, Sam, to put you on the spot, are you going to be here? Uh, I just wrote it down. Thanks, I wasn't man. aware of this. I actually wrote down May 18th, JP. I, I'm going to do my best to be here. Yeah. Well, here now, be. hold on a second. Should we put him on the spot as well? Should we say that if Sam's here, like, should he maybe uh, introduce JP, maybe, since they're close friends? Introduce him that night? Yeah. Well, sure. Maybe. I mean, uh, <laughs> we put. I just put him on the spot. <laughs> well, because I didn't know that he knew him so well, but he's kind of giving yeah. me the evil eyes. Yeah, and I, I know. Well, see, JP uh, actually was raised in Grandview, Missouri, which is a suburb of Kansas City. Okay. And I lived in Grandview for many years, uh, for actually for 11 years. And uh, whenever JP would come back to visit uh, his home and his family, he, we would always get together. And so we had connections there so yeah he's a good friend i think that'd be cool for people there you know knowing that hey our pastor that's right down the street actually has a connection with this guy but we can talk about it off the air <laughs> i gotta check my calendar but I, I think i'm clear i hope i can be here yeah it's the 18th right yeah may 18th and then he's going to be here all day we're going to do a theology unplugged with him actually so we'll invite you as well we weren't expecting you know presuming that you'd be available for that but we're going to do a theology unplugged so uh one of the next theology unplugs after this will be us in the credo house live with jp moreland uh, then that evening we're going to pack the place out uh, we've been averaging events like this we average about 100 people so folks think about that 100 people in a coffee shop just focused on uh, on our god it's it's a beautiful moment so we'll be and, taking and, pictures and putting them on twitter and, as well and do these people know who jp is are they aware that he is regarded as one of the leading christian philosophers and apologists in the world today most don't we that's why we try and talk about but that's one of the reasons we bring people like that here is to tell people guys there are people like this that exist and when you have co-workers that are telling you that you're a moron to believe in the faith uh, God can handle himself, and he has raised up some people to bless the church by equipping them to be able to lovingly respond. Yeah, I would just encourage all our listeners, put it on your calendar. You do not want to miss this. This is a great opportunity with JP in town. Are we recording it, Tim? Yeah, yeah. And one more thing. If you are not in the Oklahoma City area and you're you're hitting your hand on the steering wheel as you drive down the road thinking, I wish I could be there for JP as well, we are coming out with something right around the corner. Michael, is it okay if I start like letting this out a little bit? Or is it, is it too much of a secret? No, no it's okay? Okay. We're unveiling something really soon that's going to be called Credo House Membership. And what that's going to do, it's going to get you all sorts of cool stuff, Credo House t-shirt, stuff like that. But what it's also going to give you is every single week we're doing seminary Bible college type things here and we have started to record these uh, video and we're, we're placing these in a members only area and then all of these like J.P. Moreland will be here having a luncheon with people we're recording that luncheon we're going to record his session that night we're also going to record um, the uh, the Q&A sessions usually there's about an hour of Q&A that follows his lectures and we're going to record all of that stuff and we're going to put it uh, in the members only area so we'd love for you to be a part of that so and you might hear the phone ringing in the background maybe and that is because people are calling like crazy now that they hear that <laughs> jp moreland is coming we are not they're live. saying you cannot you know, i can't stand it when is it going to be here so 7 30 p.m may 18th okay, okay we're good let's go to the uh, <laughs> passages we're continuing our discussion on difficult passages of the scripture and uh, guys i've i've uh 
I've uh, wanted to do this passage for a little while. I, I think it is a difficult passage. I think it presents something that is, causes people to raise an eyebrow whenever you read this, and it has a lot of theological implications with regard to the way that the Lord works within our world. And it is in Second Chronicles chapter 18. It's one of those passages in the scripture where you can pass by it real easily and not really stop and notice it, what's going on, and, and kind of the difficulty here. But uh, let, me, let me try to express this here, what is going on. You have, you have the king of Israel and the king of Judah together, and they are bringing prophets as they are talking about going up and going into battle. And they're bringing these different prophets. This was kind of a common thing in that day where you just bring a bunch of prophets in and you get the different prophets to prophesy. And, and, and uh, you know, really, uh, hopefully they would give you a good word or they would uh, give you something that you would you that would be encouraging. And, and this happened quite often to where, you know, you just choose the prophet that you like the best. And here we have um, a prophet that uh, comes and prophesies and the king does not like it and says you know you're lying tell me the truth and we go down to verse um, let's see here uh, verse 17 the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat I did I not tell you that he would prophesy good concerning me but evil that he would not prophesy good Malachi says okay or Micah, or excuse me, Micaiah, excuse me. <laughs> Therefore, the, hear the Lord, word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven sitting on his right and his left hand. And the Lord said, who will, listen to this. Okay, guys, you listening? I'm listening. I'm all ears, bro. All right, because y'all, y'all are going to be surprised too. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab? king of Israel, that he may go up against Ramoth-Gilead. And one said uh, and one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. The Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed Go out and do so. Therefore, listen, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets. The Lord has declared disaster concerning you. I think that's kind of got the gist of what we're trying to get at here in the difficult passage. We've got the prophet saying, this is what I saw. You've got the Lord, and he's calling upon who? He's, uh, some spirits. Um, and, and says, who's going to entice Ahab that he may go and fall in Ramoth Gilead? And then one says, I'm going to. Well, how are you going to do it? I'm going to lie. Lord says, go. Good deal. <laughs> Perfect. Just what I want. What first of all, the, the difficulty comes in two parts, I think. Number one, just what in the world is going on here uh, with regard to the these spirits? Who are these spirits that he's calling? And number two, how in the world is the Lord calling upon someone and seemingly bringing about uh, the, this deception, um, instigating deception? 
Does the Lord instigate deception? Is the Lord the, the what we sometimes talk about the first and the second causes in, in, in sins? Is the Lord here the first cause in the sin as he brings it about, as he desires it, as, as, he, as he wants someone to go out and, and he approves of the sin? Hey, good, good deal. This seems more like Satan and his hosts. Okay, who's going who's gonna to do something wrong? Who's going to come out there and be uh, a deceptive spirit? I mean, who, who's he calling upon? Are these demons? Well, I mean, I think there are only, I mean, there are only two uh, created uh, races, so to speak, or two created uh, fields of beings that the Lord could speak with, which would be humans or angels. And, you know, underneath angels, we either have, have uh, good angels or bad angels, demons. And so, uh, you know, I would say that he's probably not speaking with any humans that are going to go out as mercenaries. And so I think, I think he would have to be speaking of either an angel or a demon. Sam, do you, can you summarize the difficulty in any sense? Did I get it? No. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. <clears throat> I I think um, I think you've nailed it. Um, it's a very interesting situation. You know, it says that uh, he Micaiah saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right and his left, and it's kind of reminiscent of Job one. Remember, in Job, it talks about how Satan came before the Lord. And he was surrounded in the pres- by the presence of the, of the angels, the hosts of heaven, and you know began this dialogue with God about about Job. And similarly here, Micaiah has this vision. He sees the Lord sitting upon the throne. He's surrounded by the angelic hosts. And of course, the question is, um, who is going to go and deceive Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead? at which time he's going to fall. He's going to be killed there. And, you know, it says, um, again, that a spirit came forward um, and says, I will go out and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And, of course, the question is, is this a good angel or an even a evil angel? Is it, a, is it one of the righteous uh, angels or is it a demonic spirit? I'm inclined to think it's a demonic spirit. Given the fact that he's called a lying spirit, or he will put a he will be a lying spirit in the mouth of the of uh, the prophet. Now, somebody might say, "Well, no, maybe it's a good angel who's doing God's bidding, and he's um, and when it says I will be a lying spirit, it simply means he's going to provoke the prophet to lie in order to deceive Ahab. That's possible, but." Even if that's the case, we still haven't avoided the problem. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. problem is you've got God commissioning either an angel or a demon to go and to induce deception in a prophet to mislead Ahab that will lead to his ultimate demise. But we do have, I mean, from the book of Job, we do have uh, evil uh, uh, angel Satan in the throne room of God being sent to sure. do, to do God's will in a certain way, and so uh, you know, so this isn't unique in the Bible. It's a, this is a unique s- situation specifically, but the concept is not a unique concept where we say, "Wow, we've never heard of God doing anything like this before." Well, I'll give you some other couple other examples. Um, Judges chapter nine, uh, verses twenty two and twenty three. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years, and God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem, and the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. 
So, I mean, that's just even more explicit. God sent an evil spirit to accomplish his will in creating division among these. Um, or let's take, um, uh, let's take Peter's denial of Jesus. You know, Jesus says to Peter, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you so that when you're restored, you'll encourage your brothers. Well, it was obviously within God's purpose for Peter to experience this lapse and to deny Jesus so that he could become a source of strength and encouragement to others. And yet it was Satan who came to God and hasn't asked permission to do it. And then, of course, perhaps the most famous example is Paul's thorn in the flesh, which we don't know what it was, but it, Paul says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to keep me from exalting myself. So think about that. Whatever the thorn was, it was designed to prevent Paul from exalting himself. So in a sense, it was a bad thing that was accomplishing a good thing. And yet, Paul says, there was given to me, which all scholars acknowledge this is the divine passive. God gave it to him. And yet, what means or instrumentality did God use to inflict Paul with a thorn? He says, it's a messenger of Satan. So in a sense, and then of course you ask, you got all sorts of speculative questions. Did the messenger of Satan, the demon, know what um, God's ultimate purpose was in the thorn, Mm. namely to keep Paul humble? Or did he think to himself, oh, I've just gotten permission from God to afflict to afflict Paul, and I'm going to make him miserable and create bitterness and anger and resentment in his heart. So maybe the demon intended one thing, God obviously superintended yet another. But again, we have an instance in which God utilizes a demonic spirit, a messenger of Satan, to accomplish his purpose. Well, because you think if the demon knew that this was being used to keep Paul humble, then you'd think the demon would say, hey, I'm not going to inflict him right. any longer because I want him to be prideful and I want everybody to hate him. Right. I don't but, want to be used for his sanctification. I want exactly. to be used for his destruction. Exactly. Yeah. Same thing. You've got the example with Saul, King Saul. There were evil spirits that were tormenting him that mm-hmm. seemed to come because of his because of the the problems that he was going through, and it seems like they were sent from the Lord. I think for me, as I process passages like this, and I have a, and if there's a temptation in me to put God on the stand and to say you are doing something unjust, you are doing something wrong. I think there should be a default switch that goes on in your head, saying, "Are you putting the right person on the stand?" Because it would be like me with my three kids if I walk into a room and I see one of my kids, like, shoving the other one. And I say, go to your room. You know, I'm going to give you a spanking or something. Uh, and uh, not saying that I do that. I'm not <laughs> – that's not uh, the, the issue here. But the, the I- issue is – You've got showing up, picking you up here in a little while. <laughs> in a very loving kind. It takes a long time. We pray together. <laughs> you keep singing we about love each other. Stuff, all this stuff. No, but here, here's the thing, though, is I, I, I walk in there. I, I tell my oldest, you know, I saw her shove. And I say, okay, go in your room, and I just I, I discipline her, let's just say. But then I come out, and I hear the rest of the story. And the rest of the story was that my son went up and slapped her in the face, pulled her hair, shoved her, and was getting ready to shove her again, and she shoved him back. And I only saw the last part of it. And I would say that by me putting my daughter on the stand, I put the wrong person on the stand. And when you look at the story, we're talking about King Ahab here. We're not talking about the saint in the Bible. You know, we're not talking about the greatest person in the Bible. It's not like God just said, hey, let me, like he did with Job, maybe. It's not like he just said, hey, let me find someone who really, really loves me and is really close to me and has never done any ill to me and let me torture them. 
He's not doing that at all. But he he's did saying, with Saul, or he did with Paul, and he did with exactly. With so, Joe. He, so he had purposes there. But what I'm saying here is his purpose here is 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 different. Like his this, guy, this guy's ultimate demise is not that he would be sanctified like Paul was. His ultimate demise is that he will be killed. Yeah, this and is judgment. This is judgment. This is not sanctification. This is judgment. But what I would say is that this is absolutely righteous judgment. That I mean, it'd be like you sitting in. I mean, none of us is is waving their finger that uh, that God allowed Osama bin Laden to be killed by by the 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 Navy SEAL team that went in and did that. No one is saying that was so unjust. No one's looking at the president of the United States and saying you are so unjust by doing that. You know, don't you realize that that guy had kids don't you realize you would say no do you realize everything that he did and he earned every bit of that and and i would say that god is because god is so just he had this thing to be to be done and let me just add to that um the parallel passage uh, we're looking at the ver- at the uh, version in uh, second chronicles 18 the parallel is in first kings 22 and it's very explicit there um let me just read verses 23, uh, 22 and 23. And the Lord said to him, that is said to the, to the lying spirit, the spirit that offered to do this uh, uh, and, and put uh, deception in the mouth of these prophets. By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, this is God's fame. You are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. And then there's this last phrase, for the Lord has declared disaster for you. So very clearly that statement indicates that this was righteous judgment against Ahab. So that part of it seems clear. I don't think that, I don't think that, I agree with you, Tim, I don't think anybody's going to rise up and say Ahab was treated unjustly. Ahab was being judged for his wickedness. What's the, the, the challenge for us is is that God would utilize a demonic spirit as the instrument by which that is done. Mm-hmm. Is there a parallel? I'm just asking here off the top of my head. Is there a parallel between uh, what Habakkuk had to wrestle with? Mm-hmm. Um, because here's Habakkuk. He comes, or Michael's over here nodding his head saying, you just beat me to the punch <laughs> on that one, Sam. You know, here's Habakkuk. Or as my British friends would say, Habakkuk. Um, Habakkuk, who is complaining to God about the wickedness of Israel. He said, Lord, these people, your people are just out of line. You've got to step in and discipline them. And God says, okay. So he raises up the Chaldeans and sends the Chaldeans in who are, comparatively speaking, infinitely more wicked than the Israelites. And Habakkuk says, wait a minute. You know, it's one thing for you to discipline your people, but you're using a people who are far, far more wicked than we are. And he was just befuddled by it. So here God is, and then God says, yeah, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise up the Chaldeans to discipline my people for their wickedness, and then I'm going to punish the Chaldeans for doing it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It's an amazing book. I mean, Habakkuk yeah. is incredible because it is the, uh, to me, it's the, it's the full illustration of this, what we're talking about. How does God and why does God and, and the complaint to God of using evil means as part of his plan. I mean, on and on we go. Judas, you talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Peter, the thorn in the flesh, what we've got here in Habakkuk, and, and we have no lack of illustrations of God stepping in and utilizing evil within the lives of his people, sometimes for uh, these people are good, and sometimes these people are evil. But either way, here's the fact that I see within the scriptures that God does use evil. Mm-hmm. Now, now the question is here now, um, is he the instigator of this evil? How do we, how do we, you know, we, we talk about God. I, I believe that God is not the first cause of evil in any sense. He, there is no evil that dwells within him. There is no sin that dwells within it. He is perfectly righteous. Mm-hmm. But let's, let's get down to our lives. Let's mm-hmm. talk about where we're at, you know, and let's talk about these things that the, these hard things that happen to us. Let's put ourselves in the, uh, in the point of Habakkuk or Job or our pr- uh, present passage in Chronicles. And difficulties and evils come into our lives. Um, uh, such difficulties that are just a, a complete evil for us. You know, things that we see and we say, God could not be involved in this. We, we sometimes, maybe we as Christians want to exonerate God of any type of involvement in certain activities in our lives and certain paths in our lives. And we want to insert Satan. Then we want to say, well, this kind of, this isn't of God, this is of Satan. And we kind of get this wrestling match going between God and Satan. Mm-hmm. And we say, all right, this one's God, that one's Satan. And we, we take God off the throne for a little bit, put somebody else on the throne. God loses a couple of battles, but he's going to come back and win in a little bit. And God, you know, kind of got surprised or God got, got, didn't know that this was going to happen in such a way. And so he's got to respond in, in, in some way. And I think, I think oftentimes, you know, this is brought up quite often with the death of my sister mm-hmm. to where whenever she committed suicide, God's was, hands were off. You know, nope, there, there's no way that God was involved in that in any sense. And for me... That's the scariest thing I could ever think of. Hmm. That's that's the that that's where I begin to adjust to a whole different worldview. To where you've got God kind of as this cheerleader whenever it comes to difficulties and evils, and and yes, yes, He can work around it. Yes, He can He can use it in the sense that you know, oh man, I. I you know, I'm so mad that happened, but here's the deal. I've got a plan that can work around this, and I'll bring about good in the midst of it, rather than God actually being involved in these evils. Here's the way that I process it, though, too. One thing is that I don't think evil is a thing. You know, I don't think evil is like kryptonite to Superman. You know, like, so here's this this place where there's this ball of evil. Uh, then God can, like, hold it and can interact with it like Superman can't with kryptonite. Evil, I think, are actions. They're actions away from God. And if God can't work on evil, he can't work with anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, so if, you, if we're praying that God would work through us in this ministry, he is using evil people, people who have actions away from him. And he has sent a savior into an evil world, and I think the, the the tangible expression of the book of Habakkuk, I think, is Jesus stepping into the world, using the people that he, using using twelve evil disciples, and not being stained by it. So he could heal a leper that would always stain the people. He could touch dead people. He could do all of these things, and he was never stained by it. 
So and so and he can even take on humanity and be a hundred percent man and still not sin. And so I think Jesus is the centerpiece of how God can and does every single moment of every single day interact with evil, but it does not hurt him. It does not affect his character. He can still be good and holy. He can still use me, who is an evil person, who, who, who has actions away from him, and still redeem me and even adopt me into his family. Yeah, I, I agree. I come back to what you were saying, Michael. I run into people all the time who, when they're dealing with um, an incident, a tragedy, and they say, all right, who's responsible for this, Satan or God? And sometimes I want to say, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And um, and then, of course, we have to unpack that and we have to explain not in the same way or with a view to accomplishing the same ends. Satan may be involved in order to bring devastation and pain and uh, hatred against the Lord, whereas God can utilize um, the same event for an entirely different goal, namely to bring us uh, to humility and to deeper trust and to a realization that whatever loss we've sustained, it's nothing compared to the gain we have in Christ. So sometimes it's not easy for people to say, oh, either it was the devil or either it was God. Sometimes always subsumed under the sovereignty of God, the enemy can do things thinking to accomplish uh, devastation, and God can utilize it for his own glory. Let me, let me give you one other passage. I know we're almost out of time, but this is one that, that is so explicit on this point. It's in Revelation 17. Uh, we won't go into all the interpretive problems, but you know the story how it says the ten horns were ten kings um, who are going to receive authority, um, and they are of one mind. They hand over their power and authority to the beast, and the purpose is is to make war on the lamb. So in other words, here is the beast and the ten kings, whoever they are, um, who are conspiring together to persecute the people of God, and to resist the, uh, the advancement of the kingdom of Christ. Now here's the stunning thing. We read in Revelation 17, verse 16, And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. Now listen to this, verse 17. Because, here's, here's why they did it. Here's why they are conspiring together to persecute the people of God and to resist the kingdom of Christ because God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Hmm. So here is God orchestrating this global conspiracy on the part of the beast and these earthly rulers whose aim is to destroy and oppress the church and yet it says that God is the one who has put it into their hearts to to come together for this this rather evil and nefarious purpose so that his purpose might be ultimately consummated. I mean, the, the thing that strikes me as we sit here and talk about this is how many examples that we can come up with, how much it needs to be part of our theology. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You know, we want to get out of that. No, Pharaoh really did it because look at this one passage where it says he hardened his own heart whenever mass majority of them say God hardened his heart to do 
his purpose. Mm-hmm. I mean, over and over again, we have this utilization of evil by God to bring about his goal. And I guess the main reason why I, 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 I it's hard to say, but I get excited about this. I get excited about this this idea that that God is actually involved in evil, that we don't have to punt to Satan and we don't have to punt somewhere else. God, unstained, as you said, Tim, by evil, it is not him being the first cause, but the whole idea here is, folks, that if God is going to work in this world at all, if he's coming into a world that has fallen, if he's going to work at all, he has to use sin. Yeah, and I would I'd say uh, I would just point people to one of our, our all of our favorite verses, Romans eight twenty eight, mm-hmm. that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love Him. And I tell people, don't ever read that verse out of its context. Read the preceding context. Read mm-hmm. the context that follows, and what you will see is that verse is right in the middle of Paul's discussion of suffering in the preceding context. God actually can orchestrate the suffering that is brought about uh, in your life that can be horrific and devastating Mm -hmm. and use it for good. And then in the following context, he talks about things like tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword, even martyrdom. And he's saying that that as well is subject to God's providential oversight in accomplishing his purpose. The Chaldeans were responsible, but God used them. Pharaoh, responsible. God used him. This lying spirit. Lying spirit, responsible, but God used him. And this is the interplay, folks. This is where we've got to come together and say, listen, you never take God off the throne. The beast and the ten kings were responsible, Mm -hmm. but God used them. Never take him off the throne. He is, and, and work this in, folks, because this is reality. This is, this is the whole idea of the sovereignty of God. But it does not implicate him in any sense because he doesn't have anything else to work with but sin. He, he doesn't sanctify someone, then use them. Wait till you're perfect, then use you. He brings about things in a fallen world and accomplishes his purpose. He brings about the betrayal of Jesus in his predestined plan to, to have Judas hand him over. Pilate to hand him over. He uses evil and sometimes calls and says, who's going to do this? Who's going to do this evil? Like with this lying spirit. Mm. And this definitely should comfort us. It it comforts me. Mm. It comforts me because the the hard things, the difficult things, the sin, the the evil that I come upon um, is being used of God. It is not out of his hands. It is not a cosmic battle where he is, he is uh, um, uh, down uh, and, and Satan is winning for a little bit. But he'll come back. Uh, guys, I think that that is um, a difficult passage that has uh, great implications. I appreciate you guys uh, talking with uh, great candor and, and unpluggedness about this passage. I think it's a hard one, but I hope people listen and uh, see what the word of the Lord says. Because it's it's our guide. Mm -hmm. It's our guide, not not us and our own feelings. Not us and what we think God should do. This is it. Shape your theology around the word. Don't make it fit into what you already think must be. And I do really lovingly disappoint my kids. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Until next week.
You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes Store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.